Ohio and Michigan got together, and this is the, the beginning of a home in embryo. I was five, my wife was five there at the age of 14. No comments about the pants, please. That was the science fair, the eighth grade science fair. I, ended, I won that, and I was destined because of that to go to the state championships. And the 1974 Xenia tornado went through, went through Ohio and utterly decimated Central State University where the championships were to be held. And in one afternoon, Ohio's priorities were turned around. They said, forget the championships for this year. It probably saved me from a life of science. I say that because of the errors of Darwinism. It's my wife also at 14 going down the road. This is Nancy and I at, at our first Christmas. We were still dating then. I was not a believer yet at this point. I'm 21 years old. There I am, 22 years old. There's my wife at 19. There's our engagement. And there's our wedding. And that's my Uncle Carl there between us, a man who is gone now. And that's our honeymoon. 1982. It's a big hit with the girls. The guys are all quiet. <laughs> I know what you're thinking, and we're going to talk about that too later on. This is 1984. This was after this. I became a, a baptized member of the Church of My Fathers in 1984. This is my wife here. This is me. It's my black hat. This is 1988, our two sons, who are now 29 and 27, I believe. I should know that. And there they are. Happy young family. It's our young son, Nathan. He's now two meters tall, which is almost six foot seven. I have to use meters when we were over in uh, Norway. We've been there a number of times. It's our young son, Dylan, studying to be a doctor. This is my wife here in Chicago. This is Nancy and I. But notice something on the face here. Do I look happy? No. Maybe you can't see it real well, but I'm not. Because during that period of time in my life, I wasn't the happiest kid. I could have been. And in 2003, I was. And something happened in our life. Nancy and I got married. We, I don't want to jump ahead of the story. We retracted each other for various reasons. We became married, and we brought into the relationship hidden issues that we didn't know how to resolve, didn't even know they were there, and we probably didn't care about them. It'll be all right. We'll, we'll get it fixed. Well, we did, but it took a while. There's our, this was in 2005, I believe, five or six, our two sons, and this is 2009. That's the most recent picture I have, and now we want to get down to what we want to talk about tonight. Who said this? You better believe it. And everything he said in the Bible, he meant. Now, I want to talk about the heart tonight. Everybody here okay? I can speak up if I need to. But I want to start out by talking about these 12 locked hearts. And you might be thinking, was that the disciples? No. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But we're going to go through 12 different issues that have the potential to lock your heart and mine. And I know what that's like. I had a heart that was locked with pride a number of years ago, and God in his mercy humbled me and took that away. Number one, our heart will influence the way you and I think. There's a scripture for that. You all have a heart, each of you. 
It's doing something more than just beating tonight and being the circulatory pump for the life-giving blood in your body. There's something more going on inside of you. It's a special, beautiful part of you, your heart. It's the center of an individual, and it's where God wants to write his law along with your mind. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What else will our heart influence? It'll influence the way we act. The Bible says a good man or girl or woman will bring good things out of the good stored up in them. That's why God has a desire to see you young people and us middle-aged people. He wants to see us store up good things in our life. That way good things will come out of our life. The opposite, of course, is true. You store up bad things in your life, it is going to come out. You store up pornography in your life, it's going to come out, guys. You store up romance novels into your hearts, girls. It will come out in false expectations of reality. Our heart will influence the way we speak. Those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. Let's go on. There's our 12. 12 locked hearts. I'm going to go through them as quickly as I can. And if I go long, just, just wave in the back, Claire, and go, and go like this, and I'll get the message. I'll try to do this as efficiently as I can. Now, the reason we're talking about this is because each of these areas have the ability to kill something special, your relationships. You see, God created you and I for relationships, first with him. First with him, Adam walked and talked and communed in the garden with God, and then Eve came into the picture. And as a result of that, then the final element of intimacy became reality for them, and that was the physical side of the relationship. So we have 10 core issues here that we want to focus on tonight that will destroy your ability to have relationships with other people. And if you're like me, you need them. You need relationships with other people. There are people that God has placed in your life that he wants you to be able to appreciate the benefit they are to you. And if you cherish some of these issues in your life, you will not be able to appreciate them. Pride, number one, bitterness, rebellion, abuse. I had some rebellion in my life back as a teenage boy. Abuse. Abuse comes in a couple of different flavors. Uh, it can be... Most often, when, I, when you mention the word abuse, what do you think of? Yeah, physical or starts with an S. Yes, ex exactly. How about spiritual abuse? How about emotional abuse? Those have the ability to, to shoot an arrow into your heart. Material values, what is that? That's, that's being in love with things more than you are with God. You have a desire for stuff more than you have a desire for a relationship with God and other people. The enemy is behind all of these, by the way. Let's go on. Moral failure. We all know what that looks like in this world we live in. Our world is saturated with sex, the wrong use of it. You know this. I know it. It's, in, it's everywhere. It's in literature, entertainment, art, advertising, music. It's everywhere. And we're going to talk completely about that probably on Wednesday night, a, a session devoted entirely to it. So I won't go into it in detail tonight. Hypocrisy, what is that? Hypocrisy is being something different on the outside than you are on the inside. And Jesus found that to be particularly frustrating. Evil for evil. Yeah, that will destroy a relationship. We've all seen it. Five-year-old kids, you're dumb. 
Oh, yeah. You're dumber yet. <laughs> well, you're dumber than the biggest dumb dummy that's ever lived. And it goes on and on, this ping pong back and forth, trying to outdo each other. And we kind of chuckle at it a little bit, but it's not funny when it happens in adults and young people's relationships. It messes up everything God has designed for you. Enemy issues, that's the occult. Spiritualism is a monster, kids. And it seeks to devour you along with everything else on this page. And in some cases, it is trying to come into the church. Oh, really, Mr. Wagoner? You better believe it. You better believe it. It's cleverly disguised, and it looks kind of nice. But it is absolutely trying to come into the church, and in some cases has. A friend of mine, Steve Wahlberg, just gave a talk down at Southern University on the emerging church movement and spiritual formation. That is available, by the way, on Audioverse. If you want to see something, how many of you have seen that already? Any of you? Heard of it? You want to see it? I hope all of you do. It's really good. It's one of the best I've seen yet. He spoke straight from the heart, especially the end. Get to the end. Tell me what you think of it sometime later on this week. Let's go on. Negative thought patterns. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. If anybody knew what I was really like on the inside, they wouldn't want me. It's all my fault. All lies from the enemy. You see, you young people are at a really neat point in your life right now. You are. You've got a lot to look forward to. God has a lot of special things in store for you. And as you make good choices along that pathway, you're going to be blessed with a lot of special things in your life, lots to look forward to. The enemy, of course, knows this, and he has paved the road to adulthood with a thousand potholes. That's okay, because we have someone greater who can steer you around those. The Lord Jesus Christ, let's go on. Now there's emotional issues. Abuse, rejection, abandoned, neglected. These are real. These are real. My wife and I operate a counseling ministry out of our home. We've operated it for the last 10 years. It's something we started in 2003 because we saw such need out there in people's lives. And God, after we resolved our own issues 15 years ago, God gave us a heart for people. And when we were around people who were hurting, people who were struggling, then we would hurt with them. And we said, we've got to do something to help. And so we said two words to God back in 2003. We said, I'm available. Kind of scary, but it was exciting too. Within a year's time, we were adding 1,600 feet onto our home in order to have room to minister to people who come and stay with us, have a pastor and his wife coming from uh, Florida next month. And we deal with some of these issues, and we use the Bible almost exclusively in this process. Now let's talk about some of the ways that people avoid resolving their problems. I was one of them for a while, back when I was young. We have something in the Anabaptist movement that's kind of understood. You go out and sow your wild oats, get it out of your system, and then you come back and join the church, grow a beard, no mustache, mind you, and get your black hat and everything's going to be okay. Well, it doesn't always work that way. I mean, some guys don't come back. Or if they do, they come with scars that destroy their effectiveness for God. Anyhow, projection. It's their fault I'm this way. This is the number one way people avoid resolving that. Yes, I'm angry, but if it's because of, if you knew what they did to me, you would be angry too if you knew what it was. Oh, maybe so. And so they hang on to this anger. They have a right to it. It's a note they tuck in their shirt pocket. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm upset, but I have a right to be. Really? 
denial. I don't have a problem. <laughs> I had a couple, a wife dragged her husband to me 10 years ago, and they came in and sat down there in the office, uh, her in this chair, him in this chair, and I said, so why do you want to come see me? He goes, I didn't. She made me. I said, oh, she made you. Right there, a little red flag goes up. There's leadership imbalance in the home. Does that make sense? Like a little kid twisting his ear. You're coming to Jerry. I said, so what would you like to focus on this week, sir? He said, nothing. My wife, fix her problems. She wanted to come. So I helped the wife resolve some things, and he didn't have any problems until Thursday. This was Monday. On Thursday, he looked at me with tears in his eyes. And the Spirit of God had broken through him. He said, I have some problems. I said, I know. He said, I need some help. Let's, let's do it. That's what denial looks like. But on the other side of that, we got to see what humility looks like. Rationalize. Everyone else is doing it. I'm working with a couple right now, adultery case. And those are always hard cases. That's about the third hardest case you can counsel is adultery. And I told the man, in a moment of honesty, I said, you're not loving your wife the way God intended well, I'm doing everything everyone else is doing. Really? What's the standard? Or I have a guy say, I, I love my wife. I bought her a house and a, a Lexus SUV. I love her. So I have them face each other. And then I have the husband ask the wife, do you feel loved by me? The tears start. No. Would you like that? Yes. That's why we came. Three obstacles in defeating Satan are, number one, understanding these. Generational sins. Generational sins, what is that? Inherited or cultivated tendencies. I'll give you an illustration. If you have a mother who's a bitter individual, now she may have had some things to deal with in life that she never dealt with properly. And so she goes through life angry. And it's a reverse form of pride. She has this intense self-focus because of her bitterness. And she begins to defile people around her and doesn't know it. And the closest people to her are her children, her husband, if she has one at this point. Or you might have a father who's in pornography, and he doesn't resolve it. Or he thinks he does, and it keeps coming back. They will pass that tendency on to you as their child. That tendency, okay? Not, not the sin. Hear me on this. And you will find that encapsulated very neatly into the Ten Commandments, where it talks about the sins of the fathers being visited to the children, to the third and fourth generation. You look at that and you think, I'm stuck. How can I get out of this? We turn over to Ezekiel 18, where it says, The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. And then we remember that back in Exodus 20, it qualifies it and says, Unto them which hate me, if you love God and keep his commandments, and you have a mighty force on your side. Let's go on. A generational sin. These are tendencies that you and I brought into this world. And I'm here to tell you tonight, God can take those tendencies, touch them, and turn them into something useful, something beautiful. If you, whatever you're struggling with, maybe you're not struggling with anything. But deep down in the honesty of your own heart, if there's something in there that, that God has touched you a couple of times in the past, and you know you ought to face it and resolve it. God can turn that into something beautiful. Let's go on. Strongholds, what's a stronghold? A stronghold is where the enemy has you so tied up you can't get free. 
A stronghold is a pattern. It's something that you have fallen into for a long, long time and you can't get out of it. You've carved a neuron pathway across the landscape of your brain. That can be changed. That can be changed. That's good news tonight. Blind spots. I hand a couple of pieces of paper and I say, just write down all your blind spots. And they go, what? How am I supposed to write down something I can't see? And I say, you're right. That's my point. Blind spots are areas where we're struggling and we don't know it or we have convinced ourselves that we're okay. God can break through that. And though some of the ways that he breaks through that is to touch our heart with a moment of truth, a kernel of truth. You hear a testimony or something from someone and all of a sudden it breaks through. Here's the question. Why can't a person demonstrate sympathy? What, what is, what's another word for sympathy? Anybody? Mm-hmm. What's another word for compassion? I thought I heard it. It starts with an L. Exactly. We're created with the ability to give and receive love. That, that's the beautiful thing about being made in God's image. You're created with that ability to give and receive love. I don't care who you are or where you've been. I don't care who your parents are. God has given you something unique. He has given each of you the ability to give and receive love. Now, the enemy knows that, and he wants to block it. Number one is give love. Here's the Bible text for it. Jesus answered and said, The Lord your God is one, the Shema, and you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are created with the ability to give love. You and I are. That's a special thing. And if you're not doing that, if you can't do it, if you're just bound up inside and you wish you could and you can't, then you're going to feel frustrated inside. There's good news for you. God's design is to receive love, to give it and receive it. If you can't receive love, it's because you've been hurt and you're not willing to trust someone. I don't trust people anymore. If I open my heart up and let them love me, I might get hurt again. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to lock it up in the coffin of my own selfishness, to quote C.S. Lewis. Let's go on. 2 Corinthians 6.11, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. I love this passage. It's Paul humbling himself after he had to write a necessary and strong letter to the church at Corinth. He says, my heart is open to you. In other words, I still love you. Make room for us in your hearts. He pleads with them in Corinth. There are three types of relationships. Number one is an endure. That's where you're not having any fun in it. You're, you're just kind of stuck. I had a, the second or third couple we ever counseled came from Norway, near Oslo, a long ways away. It was clear back around 2000, 2003. <laughs> I put a lot of pressure on myself that week. I was just a baby counselor, and here they'd come 6,000 miles. And I thought, this had really better work. That didn't take long to get over that. I said, okay, Lord, this is your business, and I need to step out of it, and I did. And something happened in their relationship, but they were stuck in an endure relationship. They couldn't stand each other, but they were committed to staying together. They've been married 25 years. They've been to five counselors in Europe. Costly. Five. And they were still, still stuck, still locked against each other. So they came all the way to Piqua, Ohio, a little farming community. And they sat there in my office on Monday morning, and I said, would you be willing to turn and face each other? 
Well, yeah, I guess. They turned. I said, would you be willing to hold hands? And the wife turned and shouted at me in Norwegian. I didn't know what she was saying. It's probably a good thing. I said, that's okay. Tell her it's all right. You don't have to touch him. That's fine. That's fine. She wasn't willing to touch him. I knew right away there was something moral under the surface. I didn't know what it was. You just ask God to bring it to the surface and go on. That's what we did. I said, that's fine. You don't have to touch him. I helped the husband resolve the pride. And he had a lot of it. In fact, I, I led him through pride on Tuesday for about three hours. I helped him resolve that, and it didn't work. Come back on Wednesday. What are we going to do today? Same thing we did yesterday. This time it worked. He got out of his chair, walked over to his wife, and he stooped down on, all knee, on his knees. And he looked up, and he said, I, I'm really sorry, my dear, for the ways that I've damaged you with my pride for 25 years. And he said it with tears, and she looked at him as hard and as cold as a woman can look. Now, God created a woman to look differently than that. You'll find that in First Peter. He's given you young ladies a beautiful countenance and a capacity for expressing femininity. She didn't have it at that point. She had a lot of bitterness in her life, so I helped her resolve that. And on Thursday... She looked like a different person sitting across the desk. I mean, she looked like a little girl. I couldn't believe it. It's the same person that came in here. It's tall, blonde-haired, angry, hard-looking individual. Looked like a little girl sitting. I couldn't believe it. And then they went for a walk down through the woods, down by the creek, hand in hand. That's significant. Why? Mm-hmm. They didn't want to touch on Monday. Are you kidding? I don't want to touch this guy. You take down the barriers and that natural desire to give and receive love takes over. And God has taken these two hearts and put them together into one with a divine welding rod. And all of a sudden they became desperately lonely for one another. They went home. Back to Norway. Back to Oslo. And a year later we got a call. Everybody over here wonders what happened to us. Now you got to come over here and have a seminar. So we did. Second type of a relationship is an escape relationship where you just want to run, you want to get away, you feel trapped. And so if you're a guy, you'll marry your work or you'll marry something else. If you're a woman, you'll marry your children. God never intended that. It's an escape relationship. Now, for you young people, you're thinking, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm not married. And you're right. It doesn't yet, but the principle applies. What is there that you're running from in life? What relationships are you trying to avoid? Let's go on. The third kind is one that I invite you to in all of you. And that's an enjoy relationship where you can enjoy the blessing of friends, the blessing of your spouse if you're married. Can I invite you? Can I invite you to move to that that third category wherever you are in your life tonight? It's available and there's a lot of joy there qualities that husbands or men, young men, like you guys, we've got a great group of young people here. I'm excited to be with you. And these are some qualities that young men should demonstrate. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no man ever yet, that's us guys, We're we're all men, we're all males. I should qualify that and say we're all males. There's a little bit of a difference between being a man and being a male. You're a male by default. To be a man is to live by the principles of God, even when it hurts. Qualities that wives and women should demonstrate are also found in Ephesians 5. Let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband. Locked hearts. Number one, cannot give love. 
Okay, you can't give love. And I have ways I test people on this. And if they can't love, I'd make a little note there, come back and check, find out why. Why can't you? What's, what's happened to your life? What's happened to your heart? Number two, if you can't receive it, you can't receive love. You don't, you don't trust people. You've been hurt maybe before. And so you're going to hold individuals at arm's length. And we're going to talk tomorrow morning just briefly about what secrets do to your life. It's called, the presentation will be called, It Came From Within. Goes into this in a little bit greater detail as much as I can do in 10 or 15 minutes. For now, that's enough. The worst of all is the double locked heart. And that is you can't give or receive love and you're just stuck and you're an island. You're miserable living under yourself and you're filling your life with all kinds of distractions, music, sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be to drown out the pain. As I travel around, I've been meeting with all kinds of people all around the country and in some cases around the world. And I love the Adventist church. I love the people in the Adventist church. And as I go all around and meet and interact with Adventists, I find that many Adventists, they have two tendencies. And that doesn't mean that you have these, okay? But there are some patterns that you'll discover. And there's patterns in the Amish church, and there's patterns in the Catholic and Baptist church. We've counseled with all kinds of individuals. And one of the patterns in the Adventist church is that we tend to be a fairly intellectual people. There's nothing wrong with that. And God doesn't bypass our brains in this beautiful plan of salvation. Come now and let us write. But there's more to it than that. If that's all you have, then you're only half a person. I find that many Adventists are what we call intellectually locked. I am an Adventist, and I was intellectually locked, so I can say this with no compunction and certainly no condemnation. Um, not everybody, don't get me wrong, but there is a tendency here. And I also have found that as I travel around and speak at Adventist churches, that almost 90% of Adventists have never truly forgiven people who have wronged them from their heart. They've done an intellectual exercise, going back to the, the intellectual tendency, but almost 90% of Adventists have never actually forgiven people from their heart because they weren't sure how to do it. Or maybe, like me, maybe you heard a sermon or you read a book on forgiveness and you say, God, I forgive everyone that's ever wronged me. And we kind of do an intellectual exercise and nothing changes and you go home just a little bit worse that night. There's a better way, and we'll talk about it later on this week. As we go through these 12 locked hearts, number one is a hostile locked heart. It's an angry person. Do you know anyone that's angry? You don't have to raise your hand. I do. Have you ever been angry? I have. I've been very frustrated at times. And part of me knew that I shouldn't be. And you know what that feels like, too, because we're all in this together. But what we're talking about here is something worse. We're talking about a heart that is continually given over to wrath. That is a quality of the enemy. Number two, a defiant locked heart. Another word for that starts with an R. Rebellion? Yeah. If you as a young person have a rebellious heart, there is a 99% likelihood that you will move into moral failure. What do you mean by that, Mr. Wagoner? I'm talking about immorality. 99 per, yeah, absolutely. 90, I can show you why, too. I can sit down and draw the pathway out on a piece of paper, and your mouth will fall open. You'll say, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. So young people, if, if you have an inherited or cultivated tendency of rebellion in your life, like I did at one time, let me just warn you lovingly and gently. Resolve that. Ask God for a way to resolve that, to break that defiant heart and come to him in submission. 
Otherwise, you're destined for moral failure, and depression will follow that, and a whole list of consequences. I could give you all kinds of stories. A young girl that moved to Idaho. Uh, I won't go in. Don't have time to go into a neglected, locked heart. If you've been neglected as a young person, if, you're, if your needs weren't met, you see, most of the pain that you and I have experienced in life comes from when we got something we shouldn't have gotten, like abuse or wound or something along these lines. Or on the other side of the coin, something we should have gotten but didn't. See, God created a family to provide these kind of blessings in your life. You say, well, I didn't get that from my family. I've I've seen all kinds of stories like that. My family wasn't perfect either. But you have a heavenly father who steps into the picture in Psalms 27.10 and says, if your father and mother forsake you, I, the Lord, will take you up. And to take you up means to embrace you and hold you close. We have a wonderful, loving heavenly father who understands these things and sent Jesus with the key to unlock the pain of these hearts. You'll find it in Luke 4. Let's go on. Self-focused, locked heart. A self-focused, locked heart is always focused on themselves, and they never get their needs met because they're so focused on themselves, they can't actually give and receive love. A rejected, locked heart. Rejected, locked heart, by the way, will also move into moral failure 70% of the time, 71% of the time funny how that works. I began to discover that a lot of the men that came into my office who struggled with pornography or moral failure also had a very high rejection score on the Taylor Johnson test. So finally it broke through and I said, there's a link here of some sort. Sure enough, found out why. The rejection makes you feel bad and you turn to something artificial to try to make you feel good as a stimulant and then you feel worse. Morally locked heart. And by the way, young people, if you've stepped over the line in this area, not here to condemn you or make you look bad or feel bad, I'm not. I want you to know that there is hope for that. There is a way to clean that up and resolve it, and then you can go on in peace and freedom. You absolutely can get a new sheet of paper from God. Intellectual locked heart, we talked about that already. That's where a person pulls a switch and they shut off their emotions, and so they start living up here in the intellect. And that's fine. You can get along for a little bit on the intellect. You can be a 41-year-old adult, have a good job on intellect alone, but you can be awfully cruel if you don't have a heart. Awfully cruel. Part of you is missing. And God wants to put his law where? Two places, on the head and on the heart. And both of them need to be functioning in a way that he intended. The structure of an intellectually locked heart. Uh, there are four causes for this. Emotionally detached parents, parents not able to love. Severe pain can sometimes cause this. Person will pull switch and will say, I'm not going to live down there anymore. I'm just going to ignore it and live up here. Training. Engineer, doctor, military, uh, coach. Sometimes that training can cause a person to be intellectually locked. They get so um, overdeveloped in the intellect, that they, they neglect this part to the point where it begins to die. And they try to live and, and relate to life with everything from up here. God says, my son or my daughter, give me thine heart. There needs to be something there to give. As we try to wrap it up here, number eight is a defiled locked heart. And this is one thing that I absolutely hate about the enemy. I, I, detest, I detest him anyway. But I hate what he does here to young people. If a young child or a young person has been abused, let's say sexually in some way, as soon as that happens, and as soon as the shock wears off, the enemy will come in with three lies, maybe four, into the heart of that child. This is all your fault. 
If anyone knew this about you, they wouldn't want you. All men are creeps. I've heard those statements repeatedly. They're not true. They are lies based upon the enemy. And for every lie that the enemy has implanted into some young person's life, there are five truths in the word of God that will break it. Every time, I'm worthless. You're bought with a prize. There's the truth. That's what we all need. God is the great heavenly counselor. I'm not really a counselor. I'm just, I get a, a guy that gets to sit in the room and see God do something in people's lives. He is the great heavenly counselor, and that's the kind of counselor that you and I need. A dominant locked heart. Dominance. Pride often manifests itself in wanting to control other people. You have to be dominant. Now, a measure of dominance is needed for a healthy life. It's the way we make decisions. If you don't have any dominance, if you have a husband and wife who can't make a decision, where do you want to go tonight? <laughs> Nobody can make a decision. So a measure of dominance is needed for a healthy life, but not too much. You, throw, you toss in a generous amount of anger with that dominance, what do you have? Yeah, you've got a loaded gun. Boom. You go around hurting people with your dominance. God wants your love to be dominant. Pride will damage another person. If I try to control you, my friend, that is wrong of me because God's the one that's supposed to control both of us. And if I'm trying to control you, I'm stepping between you and him. That damages someone. That's what pride does. A driven locked heart. The husband married to his job. Oh, I can't get enough of it. On the way out here today, wasn't it, hon? Got a call from Ohio. Very successful businessman. Advertises on the radio throughout Dayton and throughout the Miami Valley in Ohio. Gave me a call. And he said, my wife and I have been struggling for a number of years. We'd like to know if we could come sit down and talk. And he's been married to his job for 20 years. And I have one question for him when he sits down in the office, and I'm going to ask it as kindly and as forthrightly as I can. I'm going to say, does your job love you? Boom. The dagger is going to tap the heart of that successful businessman. And he's going to be forced to admit, no, he's only stuck there because what he really wants, and that's his wife, is not available. I see some good things ahead in their future. A driven locked heart. I knew a woman that was driven to clean her house, clean the house, clean, clean. I know some other ones, too. They're like that even today. Just got to clean the house. Don't even wear shoes in my house. Is your house a museum? Apparently. And somehow it's become more important than people. She resolved her bitterness. You know, she watched her mother try to commit suicide when she was young. I had to pull the gun out of her hand. And as a young nine-year-old girl, the damage that did to her, having to watch this. Now, kids are really neat. They bounce back pretty quick, but they, they're also vulnerable to things like this that, that drop seeds in the heart of a young child, which, if they're not resolved, will bloom later. And for her, the way to mask that was to clean. She was driven to clean. It had to be spotless. And if there was one speck on the wall, she was upset. Her day was ruined. You better watch out. Mom's upset. She resolved her bitterness. She said, I have this stupid grin on my face for the last 24 hours. I don't know what to do with it. And I said, well, stop cleaning. Go have fun. Go climb Pike's Peak or something. Go do something. Go, go get a four-wheeler with your husband. <laughs> go make some mud fly or something. <laughs> I've got this stupid grin on my face, and I don't know what to do with it. That's a good problem to have. 
A spiritually locked heart. What does that mean? A spiritually locked heart, if, it, if the second hardest thing to counsel is when a young person's been abused by a member of the clergy, a pastor, because that person stands in the place of God for that young child. And part of the healing process is they need to pray, and they can't. That's why it's so hard. It takes longer, but it can be done. God can break through that. Now you're all wondering what the first heart is, and I'll tell you that later in the week. A spiritually locked heart is where you have given ground to the enemy. At some point in your life, you've played around with the enemy, and you said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get something from this. I'm going to get some power back from him. I'm going to give up part of my life. And you ended up with a spiritually locked heart. God can break that. The power of Jesus Christ can break through that, my friends. A judgmental, critical locked heart. All I, all I can do is criticize others around me. And this is something we have to watch. It's okay to stand up and be honest in the church and say, yeah, we're struggling in these certain areas. And it's okay to be honest, like Steve Wahlberg was down at uh, Southern. The time is coming and coming rapidly when you're going to have to be honest. But my friends, if you're called upon to speak the truth, do it in love. Do it in love. That's biblical. The Bible says truth is very important. It also says it needs to be spoken in love. You divorce truth from love and you'll become a very hard, hurting person. You'll damage people around you. So speak it, yes, but speak it in love. Jesus had tears in his voice when he spoke Matthew 23. And that's the kind of tears that I need this week. I could stand up here and say, you young people are wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked and quote the Bible. And I could say it with gravel in my voice and I'd be back on the road for home by the next evening. No our challenge this week is to allow God who loves people to come in and do something miraculous in our life and give us the ability not only to love each other but to love him supremely. There's only one solution for these locked hearts and it's Jesus Christ. He has the key for it. I am amazed how accurate the Bible is to provide answers to everything you and I struggle with. I, I am amazed. I'm also amazed at how sin binds and destroys a person. I am amazed at how repentance and cleansing frees a person. This is amazing. People struggle with anything. I had a dilemma, which I'll share with you one of these days. Uh, back in 2008, kind of a good story. It was tough at the time. Got the answer out of the Bible. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7. That, I believe, concludes our talk this evening. And what I've tried to do tonight, my friends, is just lay some groundwork. We've got some other presentations for you throughout the week. We've got How to Be Miserable, 100% guaranteed, by the way. Works every time. Or your money back. I have one called Eschatological Sodom. It's going to focus on a specific kind of sin that's rising in our culture and rising much quicker than you realize. And it's coming down the pike with all the authority of the state behind it. And it's going to make a very, very interesting future for you and I. That's all right. God is with us. And we're going to be called upon to stand up against it. We need to know how to resist it and reach out to people who are involved in it. Another presentation we have is on morality and purity. We'll focus on that a little bit more. And I've got all kinds of things that we can share. And if some of you have an area that's of particular interest to you, feel free to mention it to Nancy or I or Claire. We've got all kinds of things we can talk about. But I'm, I'm asking God each night to show me what would be the most useful for you. Because I want you, all of you, to feel loved while we're here this week. And I want you to feel safe here. More than that, I, I want to somehow motivate you. 
to take a good, honest look within and say, Lord, what is there in my life that you would like to touch, that you would like to resolve? That's our presentation for this evening. Let's close with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for the wonderful truth of Jesus. We thank you for pulling the curtain back in Scripture on the designs of the enemy. And we thank you for not casting us off, us humans, down here on this lonely, rebellious planet. But we thank you that Jesus stepped off that throne of divinity and he came here to be one of us, to touch us and to heal the brokenhearted, as it says in Luke 4, and to proclaim liberty to captives. So, Father, whatever captivity that encircles us tonight, we'd like to just give that to you and ask that if you would help us realize it, to surrender it, and to accept the freedom that you brought from heaven. Bless all these young people and the adults alike. Give them a good night's sleep. Protect them, Father. And bring them back safely tomorrow so that we can focus without hindrance. For we ask it tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.